Uh, I'm Charles Fielding. I go by Chuck. Uh, I'm a family medicine doctor. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. My wife is... Go, go Tigers. Uh, my wife, Michelle, is uh, picking up somebody in the airport. And, but she's going to be with me. It is weird. You want to take it and go work on it? Yeah. You do that, and we're good. We're fine. If it doesn't work, don't worry about it. Uh, and I have two kids. Uh, Caleb is got married last year. He's third-year medical school. Mallory Grace is – she's coming to this, and she is in her first year of uh, social work in Nashville. And if you all see her, encourage her because it's like – you're not supposed to be a Christian and be in social work. And so she's having a hard time with that. And then my thought was, why aren't Christians in social work? What a perfect thing for Christians. Do we have any social workers here? What, what an amazing thing for Christians to go into, helping needy people. That kind of lines up with the Bible. All right. So she'll be here. And that's all the children I have. They're out of the house uh, Michelle and I have lived overseas since 1995. Uh, we returned to the U.S. exactly. Tomorrow will be two months. Uh, can't figure out what you guys have done with the country while we're gone. <laughs> but we're just not going to go down there, go down that road. Uh, it's still standing-ish. Um, so uh, we... For health reasons, my health reasons, we've had to retire. Um, Of course, I don't know if you know, we're not rich. You don't really get rich uh, being a missionary. So I do have to go back to work um, because I can't get Michelle to work at Costco. As many times as I've said, you could work here. She's like, no. So uh, that's our deal. We're in Memphis for now. And... Oh, we just came from the United Arab Emirates, from Dubai, uh, for the last three years. We started in Pakistan. There were, I think, six countries in between. I, I feel like the attention deficit doctor. Every time we would go somewhere, it's not that I was like, oh, look, another country. No, an unreached people group. But God just kind of moved us around like a chess piece. And that's been our career, 25 years. If you want to talk about career missions, reaching Muslims, Michelle can talk about homeschooling. She can talk about a, a woman in a, a Muslim culture, uh, how, to, how to have two kids with my DNA and survive. Uh, anyway, we're a resource for this weekend. Please come up and talk to us. We don't have a lot of friends in this country, and we would love to meet you and you know, pass on what we know. All right. So this is a spotlight on 15 unreached people groups. And my friend Nathan is on the front row. And Nathan and I came up with this list um, because we were really bored. <laughs> no, we, we would talk to residents and, and young people and say, go, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they're like, yes, I totally agree. But we wouldn't define ends of the earth. And so a cool thing about this current time in history is 
we have gotten much more definition about where the gospel has been and where the gospel hasn't been. Where the church exists and where the church has never been established. And we have those, those, uh, we have, have that mapped out much better. And so Nathan and I spent a couple of months working on the internet, looking at maps, calling missionaries, using things that I thought that I knew to say, like, I've been there and I was there for three months and never met a disciple. All right, let's look it up and see if it, if it's really that unreached. Uh, and we were going to have like five high priority places, and we ended up with 15, and we could not get the list much smaller than that. Uh, they are not just defined by people group. So there's unreached people groups that we're going to talk about in a minute. There's unreached places, and then there are a lot of times they overlap. And so some of ours are places, some of ours are people groups, some of ours are clusters of people group. And they're not all completely unreached, so we're going to get to that in a minute. First, I want to show you the objectives. If you turn in the syllabus to the first page, there's no syllabus. It's a joke. It's okay. <laughs> just relax. Um, I just drove for five and a half hours, and I really need to have fun. Uh, so at your expense, perhaps I might have more fun than I should. Um, this, these, this is the objectives that I kind of came w- up with. If I remember correctly, it was like one in the morning and I couldn't sleep. So I, let's see what it says. Remnant theology is a weird thing to start with, but you'll see why I'm starting out with that. I, I don't know if I made this term up, but this helps me. Remnant theology. Definitions. The current status of global evangelization. Fifteen under-engaged people groups and regions, and then the last thing we're going to do is your questions. So, why are we starting with what I call remnant theology? Um, Let's look at God's track record, shall we? God made man. Man messed up really bad. Then God cast him out of the garden and they multiplied, and then God said, every inclination of their heart is only wicked all the time. Look at the qualifiers, every, only, all the time. And so he regretted that he had made humankind, and he decided to snuff them out. However, then he said, you know, I'm going to save how many? Eight is the correct answer. Noah, his three boys, their wives, eight people out of all of humanity he saved. That's not a lot. That's not a high percentage. Uh, Jericho. How, how many people in Jericho were killed when Joshua and his army went in? Everybody but Rahab and her household. Again, a very small amount of the town. Lot. Do you all remember Sodom and Gomorrah? God decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he saved how many people? Three end up making it, right? It, we're not the one, the salty wife, we're not going to count her. She was indeed a salty wench. We're not going to count her. Three made it out of the whole town. You see God's track record? Here's my favorite one. He's got an entire family of people that he loves called the Jews or the Hebrews or the children of Abraham, and he, he takes them out in the desert, and then how, he, how many die 
And how many make it into the promised land? Let's don't count kids below age 20. Because they're not like people. So, adults, two! Two! How many, Nathan, how many children of Israel were there? Hundreds of thousands. One million, 1.5 million maybe. Not counting the kids less than age 20. So, we're going to knock out, you know... 200,000. So we got 1.3 million people. And they all die and their graves are all... Well, they probably just buried them in the sand. Two humans. He saved. You see God's track record? He does not save the whole. He does not save the most. He does not save half. I don't know why. But he's God. I don't have to know why. But I get this feeling like he's saving a remnant. You look at the Bible. So that's what he does in the Old Testament. Maybe with Jesus, the gate is wider. I'm almost certain it is. But the Bible doesn't tell us what percentage of people are getting into heaven or anything like that. However, he did say what about the road to heaven? It's a narrow gate. It's a very road. And he says, and only a few find it. That's kind of a remnant, right? It's a small amount. And our story of that is, when I go to buy cloth in Pakistan, they've got all these bolts of cloth. They're beautiful. And when people buy them, buy them, buy them, and they get down to less than a meter like this, they don't know what to do with it. So they throw it in a remnant box. That's us. We're the rag box. We're the ones that God decided. Doesn't that sound like God? Praise God that He saved anybody. So He saved us, but we're just the rags. We're not... And most important, we're not powerful, we're not big, we're just the rags. Remnant theology is going to be important because in a minute we're going to talk about statistics. So look, here's a great verse in Romans. At this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. That's the way God does stuff. Does stuff. Michelle gets mad at me when I don't speak good English. She'll be here and you'll see. I'm a man under authority. All right, let's do some statistics. First, let's do some definitions. So this is why i got to do remnant theology, because some of the definitions have to do with percentages. So I, we lived in Kashmir, was our, our first country. Hi, Austin. Well, actually, Pakistan. And we were there for two years, and we didn't see anybody get saved. And there were missionaries that had been working there for 40 years, and nobody was getting saved. And people were hearing the gospel over and over and over. And I was like, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How come everybody's not getting saved the way that I got saved when I heard the gospel? I can't answer that, but I do know that a very small number of people were getting saved. But it's so negligible that it doesn't show up on any charts. So that gets messed up with our definitions in a minute. Uh, I'm going to run through some terms. The first one is unreached people groups. So a people group is defined as an ethno-linguistic uh, population of people. They, they, are, they have ethnicity and language in common. And so in America, we could have the Navajo Indians. That would be an ethno-linguistic nation, the, the, the Navajo Nation, or an ethno-linguistic group, also known as a people group. There are, a, okay, nobody knows for sure, there's... It gets so complicated on the definitions. Some people say there's 12,000. Some people say there's 16,000 ethno-linguistic groups. I think there's... How, do we have any uh, uh, SIL people, Wycliffe people? How many languages are there? 8,000-something distinct languages? 
Nobody. How many? Over 7,000 languages, but there's 14, 16,000 people groups. So it's not just languages. There are other things. It's like one group may speak uh, the Ladakhi in India. Uh, they speak kind of a dialect of t- Tibetan. But they're not going to take the, the gospel to the Chinese Tibetan because they're just not the same. They've got some cultural differences. There are some language differences, too, so it's not a great example. But... People groups are defined as a population that has a common language and ethnicity. And if we get the gospel into them and people are born again and saved, the gospel will move from family to family, but it will reach the edges of that population and won't cross over. And that's what we're looking for. It's like, why can't we light a match on this end of the earth and it just zoom around the earth? And it's doing that to some degree over the last 2,000 years, but there are are some barriers that prevent the advance of the gospel sometimes. And that's why you need missionaries to cross uh, these, these borders. So that's what a, a, a pop, uh, people group is. And uh, these dots represent people groups. So that's pretty cool, huh? One dot doesn't represent that area. It, it represents the people groups around it. Now, some of them in sub-Saharan Africa are like right on top of each other. India is so concentrated that they're one big maroon blob. But out in the Sahara Desert, one dot represents the people in that language, and it may go way beyond the area underneath that dot. In Algeria, you've got these Berber groups, and they don't like each other, apparently, because they spread out all over the Sahara Desert. But when they get together, they can communicate in, in that Berber language. Hey, I think I used the Berber as an example. All right, so here is, yeah, the Mozabite Berbers. And I chose this picture, duh, because these children are adorable. Uh, and Mozabite sounded cool. So this is a people group, and they're in northern Algeria. And this, you can find this on Joshua Project. So if you're not familiar with this, www.joshuaproject.org, right? .org. You can, .net. I, I thought you were saying, yep, yep. <laughs> my hearing aid battery. Uh, so, .net, and you can, I encourage you, spend hours and hours on it. Make it one of your hobbies. When you can't sleep at 1 a.m., would I frequently go to Joshua Project and see what new I can learn. Make people groups your hobby. Throw out stamp collecting. No one wants to see your stamps. Okay? But this has got eternal impact, internal implications by knowing this stuff. And a lot of people put work into it. And by the way, the purpose of Joshua Project and an Operation Mobilization or Operation World book is so that we'll pray for people groups. And the cool thing is right now you can go to Google Earth and you can draw up pictures of that ta- those towns right there where those two adorable children live and blow it up big and print it up and put it on your wall and put your hand on it and pray for the people, the salvation of people in that town. Now, if you think that I'm weird... I'm Baptist. We don't get weird. Okay? This is just what Christians this is what Christians do. All right. Oh, I forgot about the pointer I bought. I'm gonna put somebody's eye out, perhaps intentionally. Oh, it doesn't work as well as I'd hoped. Rats. It works great on the floor with cats. No, this thing's lit up from the back so you can barely see it. You can't see that too well, can you? You can kinda see it. All right. Man, 
I wonder if I have the receipt. Okay, here are the two little uh, uh, girls, and I clicked on, I clicked on the picture over here. And if you just go up to the word Moab, well, you know where the dot is. If you click on that word, then you get this, and it tells you all about this people group. So, population in all countries is 188,100. They're in two countries. They're in uh, France, I think, and well, that doesn't look like France. Greece, maybe. I don't know. It says they're in France and Algeria. 184,000 of them are in Algeria. So, they're pretty much in Algeria. How evangelized are they? Well, it says the progress, and see the little needle over here where the little rainbow thing is? It's not the bad kind of rainbow. This is just a regular rainbow. And the needle is in the red. Okay? So, the colors are significant. We're going to find out in a second what that means. Uh, Primary religion, Islam. I know I'm right in the way. They speak Tumzat. How many people here speak Tumzat? One of the reasons that they're unreached. Not a lot of people learned that in elementary school. Uh, Christian adherence, 0.00%, which is low. Uh, Bible status, there are some portions of the Bible. No online Bible, no Jesus film. Uh, And they estimate the workers needed at five. So we're going to lock the doors until we get that five. No dinner. I told you I was going to have, I needed to have fun. It's a really long ride. Okay, here are the words. I've got to get out of y'all's way so you can see. Unreached, minimally reached, superficially reached, partially reached, significantly reached. All right, these three, we're going to lump all into semi-reached. All right, so we got unreached, we've got significantly reached, and we've got the stuff in the middle. That's what you mainly need to know. And when you look at these maps, you're going to see red, you're going to see green, and you're going to see some variations of yellow. All right? You really only need to know about the red. That's what this talk is all about. What that means is significantly reached means in America, statistically, every home has four Bibles. And I heard, I don't know, like, 33 Christian radio stations between Memphis and Louisville, Kentucky. And every truck has got a fish on it, and they're Christians, and their hound dogs are Christian. And, I mean, the cat's under conviction. It's, this is a Christianized place. It's, it's significantly reached. Everybody. I heard the, my dad was an atheist, and I heard the gospel when I was 13. Despite his efforts for, to protect me from horrible religion. 13-year-old boy. What can you do? Um, that's, that's the green parts. When you look at the map, the green parts of the world are like that. The yellow parts, there's Bibles. There's, there's church buildings. There's uh, th- um, some semblance of Christianity to some degree. However, less than, uh, less than 2% of the people are evangelical. So they're reached with the gospel, but not everybody's grabbed onto it. Okay? Reached is like this. I got candy, and I'm handing it out, and and candy reaches you, candy reaches you, candy reaches you, candy reaches you. And I go all the way over to here. (laughs) Sorry. And then I go back over here. And that third over there, 
no candy. Candy never reached them. And that's what's going on right now. Two-thirds of the earth is getting a lot of candy. We got the bread of life just stacked up in storehouses, whereas a third of the earth is starving without access to the gospel, without access to the bread of life. That's what we're going to talk about, unreached people groups. Why did I do remnant theology? Less than 2%. We lived in Kashmir, and we saw a lot of people come to the Lord, and and the gospel moved, and indigenous churches were multiplying, and I just don't think it'll ever get to 2%. Like, if everybody heard the gospel... Those, it's just not going to do 2%. And then I realize, who said God's got to save 2%? That's not his track record. He saves what, who he wants to save. In the past, it's been a remnant. It says even now, a remnant is chosen by grace. So it's not all about 2%. That's a number that statisticians, they had to use something. And in a place where there's a lot of persecution, you may never get to 2%. That's the reason, if you really want to find the most unevangelized people groups, you start with the ones that are read in Joshua Project, and then you keep digging to see, well, are there missionaries there? Is there an indigenous church? Seek, so it's not, this is not an exact and perfect science. All right, what questions do we have so far? Yes, sir? How do you define evangelical? Ooh, um, I have no idea. Nathan? Evangelical, the word evangelical is from the Greek word euangelion, which means good, and angel means message, the good message. We believe that there is a message that you hear, the Holy Spirit enters your body, you are saved, and this is the message of salvation, the good message of salvation. Other people might believe, no, no, if you just, just, I'm a Christian because I go to church. These are people that we, we, uh, evangelicals, it it can be a bad word. I know in this country, I think, like on the news and stuff, these are bad people. I've witnessed to Europeans on, on airplanes before, and they're like, man, what you're saying is amazing. Following Jesus carefully. Have you ever heard of evangelicals? And one guy goes, Man, have you ever heard of Southern Baptists? I'm like, yeah. He goes, those guys scare me. I said, me too. <laughs> so they could have bad political meanings, but the reality of the word is we believe in uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to, to demonstrate that he is the chosen one of God through which we gain salvation. Jesus is the only path, pathway the gate to salvation. And if you believe that message and crucify yourself, then the Holy Spirit comes into you and you're saved. And here's another little tidbit. Thank you, dear. Um, when we show up at the gates of heaven and God's like, if it goes like this, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? Because St. Peter's like, sorry, i got to check your, take a test. Why should I let you into heaven? It's not that I went to church. It's not that I, I am a Christian. It's not that I own four Bibles. I own six Bibles. It's nothing like that. The question is, do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? He is our seal until the day of redemption. It's like a stamp on your hand to get in free at the fair. It's the Holy Spirit. That's a hard one because Holy Spirit sounds like something that weird denominations do. Forget that competition between denominations and stuff. Just look at the Bible. Don't worry about what other people think. If you don't know, ask me. I always know. 
<laughs> My wife's here. Honey, is it okay that I just said that? <laughs> Hi. Hi, come here. Okay. Um, sweetheart, the blinker thing, it doesn't show up on the thing. It was $9. <laughs> okay. We did remnant theology. We did definitions. We're doing the current status of global evangelization. So tell me some like gut instinct striking inst- things that you see about this map. Here's the colors down here. Red is unreached. Blue, they're calling the formative nominal church. And uh, green is established significant church. What are your, what are your thoughts, your just gut reactions? Observations. Sorry, John? There's a lot of red in the 10. What, what is the 1040 window? That's the definition that we should have covered. What is it, John? And, and does that include Central America? Oh, you said that maybe. <laughs> this is just like medical school all over again. I heard the first part. Um, so when, when they mapped out what's evangelized and what's not evangelized, they found out, hey, it's kind of a band. And then they looked on the globe and they're like, it's kind of between the 10th and the 40th parallels in the Eastern Hemisphere. Which brings us to an important point about the Western Hemisphere. How well have missionaries done there? In my day, we'd say, rock on. Look, they zipped it up. They did this. It's like, it really is done. There's a couple of dots in here. These people can reach them so much better than us. Whereas, who really needs us? Red, remember? Now, I know I sound really biased, and that's because I really am. But again, I'm really right on this. No, it's, <laughs> that's, that's a joke. I really am joking about those things. The, it, it just makes sense. To some degree, I think we dishonor the missionaries of the past when we keep going over the places where they've been and they've established it. And we're also saying we don't trust the Holy Spirit inside this new church. We have to trust the work that God has started. We have to trust the plan of God. And we have to be grateful for the missionaries that did a remarkable job under dire circumstances. And a lot of Jesuit priests died down there establishing the church. And nobody knows who they are. And so, and this, oh, by the way, it's not about Catholic and Protestant either. If you work with Muslims, you realize, I don't need those words. I don't need Church of Christ and Baptist or I don't need any of that stuff. All I need is, you're a disciple, and how do you know how to live? This thing called the Bible. Awesome. All right. That's about the green. Western Hemisphere is really done. Relatively speaking. It's not a hundred. You can, and people can always say, I, lost, I met a lost people, a person just yesterday. He was 40 years old and he never heard the, sure. But we're talking big picture statistics, right? All right. Sub-Sahara Africa is done. That's pretty amazing. Now, Islam starts basically from this line up, which just kind of goes to show missionaries couldn't go really well. Oh, it's also harder up there. But this was more welcoming of missionaries, and so it's reached. Where, so where the gospel goes, the church, the, the church is established to some degree. So sometimes it takes centuries. 
God works this out. He's working over a long... He's working on the big picture. What about Europe? Do we need to keep going there? Because they're only nominally reached. What, what do you think happened in Europe? I mean, the Protestant Reformation came out. Yes, sir? They're like post-Christian. They're getting over it. So they drop below the two, they drop below the line, the statistics line, and that's why that number is so important. The, the green, I think, is over 5%, something like that, and, or 10%, and they drop below that, and so now they show up as being unreached. We don't need to go there. They have Bibles, churches, they have all kinds of stuff, and you'll meet a lot of born-again people. They, their number just doesn't come up where they statistically change them into the green, except for Portugal. Portugal. All right? I think that's going to happen in the United States. If it happened in Europe, it's going to go to Canada, then it's going to go down. Mississippi will be dead last. But it'll happen. It'll happen. Can I get a witness? So it'll happen in the USA. That probably will happen over the whole planet. You go from unreached to Christian, which is a lot of people getting on the bandwagon with a religion. And then, do you remember the parable of the sower and the seeds and the different soils come up? And then a lot of them just grow up fast. It looks like you got a field full of sunflowers, but very few of them actually produce the fruit. And so um, Christianity can look like that, and then it can be post-Christian, and what's left behind is the really true church of Jesus Christ. All right. Any questions on that? Oh, so the red one obviously goes from Mauritania to Japan. It's on the list. But here's the cool thing. It's, y'all are going to really get a laugh when I trip and break my neck. This was red when we started 25 years ago. It went from red to yellow to green in 25 years. 100, 100 million born again. Evangelical Chinese. I think India is going to do the same thing, by the way. I'm talking to my friends in India, and they're like, we had 22 Muslims come to the, God, come to the Lord last month. And they're like, get out. When I was there, never mind. All right. So, what are the 15, Chuck and Nathan's favorite 15? It's like the voice or something. We voted. <laughs> and... And we wanted we had a residency program, and we had these residency residents, and we wanted to define for them what we thought were the most unreached, most unengaged places. So we came up with a very cool map that Jason Stevens did for us, and we, he put these blood spots on it of where the people are. And look, it stretches. I didn't even put the Western Hemisphere on the map because it's so done compared to over here. And, um, look, you see that they stretch into band, like John was talking about, kind of through the 10th and the 40th parallel. Here's a zoom in on them, and I'm going to just barely touch on them, because you don't need to know a lot of facts about them. I mean, I, I, I could tell you all these statistics and stuff about them that I might would remember, <clears throat> and uh, we wouldn't remember them by lunch tomorrow. But I will give you just a taste of each one of them. We call this uh, more in, inland Mauritania. And notice a lot of the unreached people groups. Th- basically, I'm trying to ask the question, 
What is unevangelized now and what will be unevangelized 25 years from now? Because it, it might take that long for some of you guys to learn Arabic. Um, the coasts will get reached before the inland will. Because the coasts uh, are easier and the governments will allow you to live there. And there's more commerce and, and movement of people in the coasts. So inland Mauritania, Berbers, Arabs, think camels, think desert. Uh, I love this country. It's a lovely country. The language is Hassaniya. It's a, it's a difficult uh, pseudo-Arabic. Inland Algeria, same thing. It's maybe a little dangerous down in both of these and uh, the Tuareg here because there's some Al-Qaeda influences out there. I think they like to run drugs and stuff. I got an Al-Qaeda problem in here one time that we're like, you guys got to move right now. Al-Qaeda found out that you're here. And, you know, there's, we're valuable American hostages. And so they're like, they're a mile away. Like, I think we're finished. This concludes today's medical clinic. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, we, so this is the Tuareg, and it's in Mali and Niger and a little bit of uh, southern Algeria. And so these have all got one thing in, in common, and that is sweat. Um, this is the Darfur area uh, between Chad and Sudan. And they are also a very hot desert. Look how many UUPGs are in the Sahara Desert. So we do easy stuff last. So I know a lot of y'all are like, oh, I really have a passion you know, for the heathen and Grand Cayman. Uh, done and done. And the hard stuff, there's a lot of hard stuff left. Uh, this is in two countries. There's actually 30 unengaged, unreached people groups in here. Uh, but we get reports from teams that are in there, and they're like, we've trained some nationals, and they planted four churches, and when we met them four months later, they had 12 churches. So the gospel will move really well. And let me tell you just one brief snippet about church planting. Zero to one is what we call it, is always the hardest. So if you go into a people group where there are no known disciples down here, the, the MZAB people, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's like 400,000 MZABs and no, I think that's right, and no known disciple. And they got a unique language. So what do you do? you got to learn MZAB because they don't speak English. If they speak English, try some of that while you're learning the language. Okay? Missionaries don't learn the language just so we can say, I learned the language. It's not about you. It's about the communication of the gospel. We're, we're, we're throwing life preservers to people floating down the ocean that are dying, okay? So it's not about, oh, I'm going on a trip so that I can be out in the ocean. No, we're saving people that are drowning. So you learn the language so that you can communicate the gospel, and then you get your first disciple. And then the, here's how I, I do it. Once I, they've, I've, they've gone through the basics of salvation, it's like, Open your cell phone, look at your contact list, and tell me who that you see that needs to hear this. And they're like, oh, my cousin. Oh, I went to high school with that guy. Oh, my. And they, they will know. They can lead the, those people to the, God, to the Lord, not all of them, but some of them, so much faster than it took you to, took you to get to that first person. And then it will take you to get to the second one. So not saying you give up. You're still trying to make a second and a third disciple. But nationals take the gospel to nationals. National churches without missionary presence inside of it will multiply indigenous 
uh, home churches with no paid staff and no seminary training, they will move throughout these red areas. You can't build a building unless you want to see a really good fireworks display. You know, they're going to blow it up. Um, You can't. All right, so moving, moving. This one's a little different. This is the Nuba Mountain people, and I know some Nuba Mountain Muslims that have come to the Lord. And the reason we picked that is this country was closed when we made the map. It's still closed, but Mohammed Bashir, Omar Bashir is gone now, and so it might open up. But it's extremely unreached from, like, all, all of this. And these people are on-fire evangelists because <laughs> I had one working with me out here in Darfur, and she just never quit sharing the gospel and prayer walk in the neighborhood. And this is a resource to mobilize. So I thought it would be wise for a team to go to oh, – and then they got huge medical problems. Oh, you'll notice, by the way, this medical missions talk isn't a lot about medical. I love being a doctor, and I love the way that medicine has enabled me to get into closed countries – so that I could make disciples. Because I'm really a disciple maker that God has graciously allowed to have a medical degree. That's something else that's a little different in this talk. I don't know. I, I don't know what y'all do in this country. Uh, y'all watch a lot of Netflix, I found out. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, that's Nuba Mountain people. You see the potential there? You go there. You have a medical clinic. You teach uh, some born-again Muslims about health strategies, malnutrition strategy, maternal child health strategy, all these kinds of things. You equip them to be evangelists. You go with them and you have a medical clinic and you send them out and they pray over people and people get healed and people get saved and boom. What do you think? Am I just crazy? Baptist, don't forget. Is that now in South Sudan? Yes. No. No, it's not. South Sudan's here. You know, it's like right on the edge. Yeah. So it's a Muslim people group for the most part. But but a lot of bombs got dropped on them by Bashir. And uh, a lot of them converted, not a lot, some converted to Christianity. Still doesn't make the, doesn't get them out of the red color. But this would be, these are totally unengaged, unreached, uh, zero to one. And this is more mobilizing. So, the, uh, you dig me? These are Somalis. There's 10 million Somalis. And all of these are like desert people. And that's what they've got. They're African desert people. And that's what they've got in common. So, that's one cluster. Over here in the Arabian Peninsula, this is the Tahami. And I think there was 4 million Tahami, right? And we're not sure if there are. I, I think there are a couple of Tahami disciples but no church. When I say church, I mean like five people worshiping together. No known gathering of disciples. But there have been a, reports of some. Four million people. How many are in Kentucky? Six million? I don't know. Not horse, count, count horses. People. I don't know. Uh, and they are a little bit like Africa. This is a very poor, hot place. Uh, I've been here before, right here in Hodeida is the way to reach them. It's a big port city. Um, and, you know, I can't say a lot of great things about Hodeida. But I can tell you that it's not about going to a great place. These people are totally lost. And uh, this is an amazing, amazing ministry if someone would, a, a team would take the gospel there. 
These are, we're just calling these the Bedouin people of Saudi Arabia. Really, all of this, for the most part, is unreached, unengaged. There have been thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Saudis that have come to the Lord in the last couple of years, mainly over the Internet or when they travel to Canada and Europe and stuff like that. The problem is they, they don't come back together. It's like one here, one here, one here, one here. And so we don't know if there's any church in all of Saudi Arabia, and that's 20 million people, I'm not sure. So these are Bedouin. They, they overlap into Iraq and Jordan. I lived in Jordan for six years, and that would be a sweet, sweet gig. Dentists, we could use a dentist and a doctor and a nurse practitioner and, I don't know, physical therapist. And uh, you could enter through Jordan because it's kind of user-friendly for access. All these places are hard to get visas to. My friend in Mauritania was a Mexican immigrant to the United States, and he and his wife opened a Mexican restaurant. It was good. <laughs> All right. These are my people, the Khaliji. It doesn't say that. It does say Khaliji. Okay, Khaliji is uh, Arabic for Gulfy, people of the Gulf. And that's their dialect of Arabic, is a Khaliji Arabic. And we lived here... And uh, everywhere else that we've gone, you just start to talk to missionaries. You talk to uh, people that are like an Egyptian Christian or something like that. And you hear stories of, did you hear about this person got saved and baptized? Did you hear about this person? You know, somebody accepted the Lord. Oh, did they get baptized? No, they were afraid. This guy got accepted. He, he, he was baptized. He shared with his whole family in other countries. Dubai, we were there for three years. Finally, we heard one story of one guy that accepted the Lord and got baptized and told his parents in three years, one. And there are eight, 800,000 Khaliji in that town, and there's 2 million Khaliji if you count all Khaliji. Now, there might be some more up and down, but there's no church among the Khaliji. We're talking about millions of people in a developed country. And they're rich people, and they're really hard to work with rich people. Give me poor folks any day. These guys are driving their Maseratis and Rolls Royces. They just think they're so... Like, look at my ring. It's Cartier. I had a lady tell me that one time. I'm like, what's Cartier? All right. These are the Zaza of Turkey. Uh, there are... Two million? Two million? They're, they're not exactly Kurds. They're Kurdish. They're Kurd-like. And they... We don't know of any... Anybody know of a church among the Zaza? Nope. That's a good one because I lived in Turkey. I know it sounds like I've lived a lot of places. I'm serious. It's like the missionaries are like, great job here. Thanks for coming. Move along. I don't know if that was it or if they're praying us out or whatever, but God moved us around a lot. And that's what we would do the demons in our, like, and we'd pray against the demons that they would move out. And like the other missionaries, like, and we'd pray against the fieldings that they would move out. <laughs> All right. So that's the Zaza. We're doing okay on time because we're, oh, yeah. And we're going to have questions here in a minute. This is Dagestan. Forty unreached people groups in Dagestan, Russia, Islamic. A little, I don't know if it's dangerous or not. Beautiful area. Maybe a little dangerous. Anything that's got Muslim in it is kind of dangerous. Sorry about that. It's not my fault, though. Afghanistan is getting better because missionaries have come in. But we have this people group called the IMOC. And when we first started with them, there were zero uh, disciples among a million. And there's like 40 now, I think, 50, which is pretty amazing. 
We started with a tuberculosis project there. Our friends, a tuberculosis project, they're just doing dots, direct observation therapy. And um, northern Pakistan, where Michelle and I started, Kashmir, this is kind of closed off. The best backpacking and mountain climbing you've ever seen. Prettier than anywhere I've ever been in, in Europe or the United States. This is the, okay, so these would kind of clump, maybe. And these are the Asian-y. This is the Asian stuff. We felt like we should have something in India and something in China so that we didn't get in trouble with people that have an affinity for those. Turns out we haven't had a lot of people say, oh, you have to have a China in there. So these are, these are if we're going to take any off, it would be these two. Because the Indians and the Dapalis seem to be trying to find the unreached people groups. And they're, they're exciting, exciting evangelical people. And the Chinese are the same way, I think. I don't know much about China. Um, but I'm sure the, those of you with the experience in China would say, John, right? The Chinese are trying to move down here in southern China and reach those, all those minority, unreached minority groups. See, so another one done, and praise God for the missionaries of the past. That I mean, people were killed there during the Boxer Rebellion, and it, yeah, okay. Uh, that's what's left. If you are interested, when we did this thing, this doctor here, John McVeigh, wrote us from Tulsa to Memphis and said. What are y'all doing down there about these people groups? It's like, well, we're just, Nathan and I were doing, I don't know how he found out. He was like, we want to have a conference. And Nathan and I like, sorry, I'm standing here in a conference. And we're like, we don't believe in conferences. <laughs> Nathan's quote was, yeah, right. Saving the world for Jesus Christ through more meetings. Uh, he's a rather cynical and kind of sad and bitter person. Uh, <laughs> true, true, true. Um, but John convinced us to have a conference. We called it the Priority 15 uh, Conference. We put together a map, and we went, and we had 100 people. And we've done it, what, five years? Six? Five years in a row. Five years in a row. We always have at least 100 people. We're doing it again this year in Wichita. Now, here's the deal with it. It's not a conference. You don't say, I just love medical missions. I don't ever do it, but I love to talk about it and hear about it and read about it. So I'm going to another conference. It's not like that. And I know that sounded mean. It was. (laughs) For people, you know, so um, I'm a doctor. We're mean people. Can I get an amen from the nurses and nurse practitioners? So we put together this, this thing, and I think our rule is, If you plan to go overseas as a career missionary in the next five years, or you're seriously considering and praying about it, we would love it if you would come to the meeting, because we want to put together strategic teams. How are you going to meet one another? If you're from Idaho and you want to save the world for Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, and so we're trying to connect one another and put together really good Powerful teams. Out of this map, we have teams in many of those places already. Many of them are learning the languages, but that's the purpose of the meeting. We call it the gathering. It's going to be in Wichita, Kansas. It is on, not Groundhog's Day, leap year, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. And so you can go on the Priority15.org website 
And if you want to access the map, you have to, like, write somebody and they'll send you the password. Because we don't want all the Islamic governments knowing where we're putting our medical mission teams. Is anybody here representing the Islamic government? Yes! That is a nice... So you close your ears. Next time would you do that on the front before we start the talk? Now you're talking. Okay, so, so I don't have to send out 75 emails. Right. The password is unreached 15. All lowercase and then the digits 1515. No space, no dot, no dash. Unreached 15. And we're trying to be security conscious, but we also don't want to hold all the information in and not share it with people. All right? We're going to have questions. If you want to, if you have anything to ask, Chuck and Michelle at gmail.com. I have a blog that I do. That if you want to read that, uh, all right, questions. Yes, ma'am. So once again, it is not a conference. <laughs> Nathan wanted to call it a synod meeting, which we all had to look that up. It was like some church word. Uh, yeah, at the conference, we, we have a little questionnaire afterwards. And we're like, how serious are you? How, when do you want to go on the field? Uh, where is your place you want to go? Or do you want to pray, give, go? And we take that stuff, and then we're supposed to follow through with contacting you. But you can always write us and say, I really like that what you said about the Tuareg. Who else working on the Tuareg? It's like, nobody yet, but let's hold on to your name because maybe we'll have two more people write in. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome if at this, out of this family of people that come to this conference, we could engage these 15 people groups? I think that's like awesome plus. All right. More questions? We go until four, right? John, don't leave. Don't leave yet. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Out of out on that fifteen one, I think the Tahami coming in at four million is the largest with no known established church. Um, there are like the Najdi Arabs. There's a couple of them in Saudi Arabia. They're like eight million and nine million, something like that. And I just don't know the degree to which they are unreached or un. un but but I I think Tahami is one of the highest. Yes, ma'am. Great question. And then a lot of them you notice are like clusters of micro. We would call it micro peoples. Oh, there's only eighty thousand of these people, and twenty-seven of this, and one hundred and thirty of these, and they all live in Dagestan. And they have two languages that they learn as business languages. Other questions? Yes, ma'am. How has your view of engaging with Muslims changed since you've been a I'm not sure I get what you mean. How has... How is your perspective of, like, interacting with Muslims in different like, parts of the country? Okay. Like, how has that changed since you first well, day you were... All right. Well, I learned a ton. One of the things I learned was... Okay, yeah. Uh, engaging Muslims... And when I started, when I was 35 years ago, and now that I'm 75, how is my, it's the mileage, uh, how has my view changed? And one of the things that I've learned is, and I really appreciate this, is that uh, there's no pat answer to, well, here's how to witness to a Muslim. It's going to vary from person to person, and it really varies from region to region. So in Dubai, 
you say anything in womb, they start quoting the Quran in Arabic to you. Sometimes they're quoting the Bible to you. The things that they have been taught to refute evangelists. They've been trained. In Pakistan, they can't read. The Malvi, the person teaching them, can't read. They're passing on what they heard about Islam. So, you can say, have you ever heard, read from the Torah, the Old Testament, what Musa said, Moses said? And then you can just say it. And they're like, wow, tell me more out of these holy books. So, it varies from place to place um, and person to person. And that kind of means like uh, the more stuff you learn about how to witness and how to tell your testimony and how to story tell the gospel and how to use the three circles. and how to, The more you learn, the more stuff you put in your toolbox. And when you're there, the Holy Spirit can speak through you and you'll know what to pull out. Yes, doctor? There's a really good book that you should read. It's called Preach and Heal. Ah. But it's by Dr. Charles Fieldy. Yeah. Yeah. Bookstore and I promise you. Yeah, I heard it was lousy. I heard he just did it for the money. I did write a book. I don't get any money from it. And that's not even my real name. This isn't even my real name. Um, So, thank you. Preach and Heal was written for people that want to go career and utilize health strategies. It's mainly for non-medical people uh, because it's like how to do a malnutrition strategy. Give them food. Okay? But but non-medical people are intimidated by the word malnutrition. But I found that the medical people really like it also because it's like, oh, I never would have thought of a TB dot strategy. There's a question back here, and then I think we're, we're done after that. we got five minutes. Question back there, I think. No? Halas? Yes? No, ma'am. I don't have a list. It, 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 go, it changes from place to place. Uh, the... No, ma'am. It, it, again, that varies, too. Like the people that are going into Chad, well, they had to learn French because that's, the, that's what educated Westerners speak that go into Chad and a lot of the French countries of North Africa. Then they had to learn Chadian Arabic, and now they're thinking about learning the, what is it, not Masalit, I can't remember, something starts with a B. Uh, one of the major languages that, the nationals would speak like the women would speak in the home. Because that's the problem is a lot of times the men have, they learn, they got their mother tongue, and then they learn the town, the town language or the educated, but the women didn't necessarily learn it, and that's 50% of the population. So, yeah. Anybody else? All right, well, I'm going to be here if you want to come and ask questions. Yes, ma'am. Do any of those Probably. Uh, that was one of the things that on the Joshua Project, it tells you if they have it or if they have portions. Um, we love the Jesus film. It's a great tool. I've got to tell you, I'm not sure I've ever met a Muslim convert that said the Jesus film won me over. Okay? It's uh, 50 other different things, but I've never heard that one. That's not against the Jesus film because I show it to virtually everybody, but it's part of the many things that I do to try to break down that wall that a lot of Muslims have around them so that they can get real. All right? I'm going to be here. Michelle is here to answer any questions that I can't. 
And so, uh, God bless you guys, and we'll see you around this uh,